This episode of the Digiday podcast is sponsored by Kiwi. If you're a publisher, you should know Kiwi. Publishers like the New York Times, Refinery29, National Geographic, Tastemade, and BBC all use Kiwi to distribute content profitably on Facebook. Yes, profitably. To see how, see a demo at kiwi.co slash digiday. That's K-E-Y-W-E-E. Kiwi, making stories relevant and powerful. The TV industry is changing before our very eyes. From cord cutters to cord nevers, more and more people are getting their TV through streaming services like Apple TV or Roku. The future of cable TV has never been more in doubt. I'm Brian Marcy, and this is the Digiday Podcast. In this week's episode, I am joined by Scott Rosenberg, General Manager of Roku's platform business. Scott and I talk about cord shavers, a new average consumer who is somewhere between cord cutting and cord nevering. We discuss who will win and who will lose in this OTT gold rush, and how it is for Roku to compete with giant competitors like Amazon, Google, and more. Hope you enjoy it. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Okay, let's start. Roku, a lot of people think of it as a hardware company, but you guys are always correcting people that you're not just a hardware company. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we are an awesome hardware company. We, but? But, uh, well, I want to say something more about the hardware. <laughs> you know, our, our goal is always to put a, a really awesome device, a, a best-in-class OTT experience in your hands and do it at... Help people get streaming video on their TVs. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's always been the vision, um, and we do that through players, standalone little black boxes that you might buy at, at Best Buy or Walmart or Amazon, and we also do that through in the U.S. through uh, an operating system that we license to TV manufacturers. We now have 10, 11 manufacturers making Roku TVs, and they embed the OS, and they're, they're sold at retail as the sharp Roku TV, the Hitachi Roku TV. Those are all the different ways that we acquire users. We... When we sell a device, our goal is to make a profit, but not to make such a heavy profit that it impedes sales. Ultimately, our goal is to engage and monetize users after they take yeah. a Roku. Once home. they have it, once they're in the Roku experience, you can make money by selling them subscriptions or one-off shows, and, and also, uh, I would guess, by having advertising. Yeah, so so I run our platform business, and the, the platform business's job is to ensure you use your device every day and use it a lot. The average Roku user is using their devices. Some houses have more than one device, 2.8 hours a day. Now that's out of a diet of an average U.S. household of seven. So we're doing an awesome job of capturing TV time, but you can see that we might Mm -hmm. also want to get the other 4.2 hours. Where's the other 4.2 going? Uh, You know, it's going to a combination of traditional linear consumption. Maybe they have a cable package. Um, So this isn't necessarily a replacement product in that I think when people think of OTT, they think of it as an either or with cord cutters or cord nevers. There's a whole spectrum of behaviors playing out. Over half our users are now cord cutters or cord nevers. And then the other half are generally cord shavers. So they'll have, I haven't heard this one. Yeah. They'll have a pay TV package, but almost all of them report scaling it back, reducing the number of services they're subscribing to. Consumers are moving to OTT 
not just because it's a better experience and it gives them more choice, but for value. The average consumer does generally feel mm-hmm. that they're they're overpaying and that their cable bill is just going up and up, and so. But now there there's you're it's like a death by a thousand cuts though. Some of us feel you keep it's like okay now I've got I've got like five different subscriptions that I pay a month instead of just one subscription. Y- yes, there is that potential. Uh, I think in general over time the bit the way this is playing out is as more consumers move into OTT the offerings in OTT are getting richer and more varied. There, there is great value in the bundle, which is sort of what you're suggesting. Yes. You know, so in some sense, the virtual MVPDs, these are services like Sling, YouTube TV, DirecTV Now. Those are those skinny bundles, as some people call them. Those are, in some sense, a rebundling of TV in order to create some of the value that consumers get when they buy a bunch of services at the same time. But in general, consumers... Uh, increasingly are in market for a reduced cost and more customized TV bundle. And that's what OTT delivers to them in spades and and ultimately what's driving the growth on our platform. So you you asked about how we we make money. Uh, One is through subscription services. So if you sign up through a subscription service on your Roku, we generally get a a cut, a revenue share from that. Mm -hmm. If you buy movies say from Fandango or Amazon or Vudu, we also get a slice of that. And importantly, and this is a real growth engine for us as a company, if you watch ad-supported programming, whether that's completely free ad-supported programming or programming that's got a subscription and has advertising like, um, like say, a CBS or a Hulu or services like that, uh, that advertising segment on Roku is now our fastest-growing segment. So back to my earlier point about consumers looking for value as they move to OTT. One of the ways consumers are getting value in OTT is by spending more time in ad-supported programming. Mm -hmm. The future of TV via OTT is not 100% composed of subscription services. It's a mix of things that are ad-free, subscription-based, as well as ad-supported. It's not 100%. But I think there's there's a question about how much is going to be ad supported versus how much is going to be without ads. People are spending a lot of time now and getting used to Netflix um, and and HBO and experiences without advertising. Yep. And there's the idea that you know advertising will become uh, sort of tax on the poor, um, and that people will. I haven't heard be, that, but that's an interesting thought. Well, I mean, if you you can avoid advertising a lot more now if, yeah. if you're willing to pay. Yeah. I I do think it remains to be seen where that that ba- balance plays out. I 100% agree with you that on balance, consumers now have much more optionality than they've ever had to just buy services or pay to have advertising be taken away. And so that is a that is a behavior, and we'll see more of that. But broadly speaking, across our platform, and I, and I mean this across demographic, and I mean this across income levels, we see an uptick in ad-supported viewing. And I think I think what's playing out... In so no, people are still cheap. People are still cheap. <laughs> a lot of things change, Scott, but some stay the same. People are still cheap, regardless of income level. And I, what I think is happening, and this is, I think, what makes OTT one of the most fascinating places to be today in advertising, is that that consumer choice factor is forcing all of us to have a higher bar for what advertising on the television is going to be. And so it's very clear to us at Roku that 
consumers are not going to tolerate the same kind of ad loads that have crept up in linear, where we mm-hmm. now see 16, 18 minutes of, of advertising per linear hour. That, I think that, that ship's sailed. So our, the ad load, for example, on the Roku channel, which is our owned and operated completely free ad-supported channel, is set to be half that at eight minutes. The other thing that I think... So TV is going to have to have far fewer ads. Far fewer ads and ads that are just a lot more interesting for consumers and that work a lot harder for marketers. But, you know, surprise, that's the way every other media has played out. It's just now finally coming to TV. And and what's what's exciting as a, as a technologist, as a guy who's worked in ad tech for a long time, is that OTT finally as opposed to legacy platforms like cable and satellite systems, is the place to innovate in ad tech. Mm-hmm. You know, every ad on our platform is served dynamically. You know, we have an opportunity to call an ad server and ask that ad server what ad should be placed in this context for this person. And that gives us the opportunity. Now how far along is that? Because um, I don't have a Roku, I have to admit. Oh. I, have, I have Apple TV. Ouch. Um, but it seems like within OTT environments, um, the advertising itself is not very targeted. Um, and a lot of it is repetitive. It doesn't seem like there's actually enough um, fill there. I would say, I would characterize the ecosystem broadly as still in its early stages of evolution. We'll be back after this quick break. With so many changes to Facebook, distributing your content cost-effectively is more important than ever. Kiwi helps hundreds of publishers like New York Magazine, Business Insider, Condé Nast, U.S. News, and The Guardian do just that. Whether you're looking to drive more traffic, increase video viewership, drive subscriptions, or sell products online, Kiwi can help you find and target the audiences that matter most at the best price. Visit kiwi.co slash digiday to see a demo. That's K-E-Y-W-E-E. Kiwi, making stories relevant and powerful. Thank you for your support, Kiwi. Check them out. Now back to the episode. But targeting is different in an OTT environment than what we're used to online. And that doesn't mean necessarily worse. I think it could be better because I think some of the targeting online has has really alienated many people. Yes. I mean, OTT is not yet at a point like I experienced this morning on my train ride in where I'm seeing an ad for a household product that my my wife must yeah. have looked at and I'm being retargeted because I'm, I guess I'm carrying a don't device do that, that's Scott. behind Please the same that. IP address. <laughs> uh, you, you know, OTT is not that, and I'm not sure it ever needs to be because one of the awesome things about OTT is it's still TV. It's still an ad that plays out on this large screen in your living room. It's still got awesome branding power, but certainly relative to where we are today, we're going to see a very quick evolution towards ads, towards lighter ad loads, ads that are more relevant, and ultimately ads that are more uh, engaging, that let you click on those ads, get more information, uh, maybe indicate a preference, like I don't like that ad. Um, All the things that you've learned from other media will now come Mm -hmm. to TV and allow you to, to influence what ads you see, so that hopefully we get that balance right between getting you something free or subsidized courtesy of an advertiser, but we do it in a way that you as a consumer feel like it's a good value trade-off. Roku has about 20 million odd active? 22 million, million. what we call uh, active accounts, which is basically a household for us. So 22 million households regularly using uh, Roku. So billions of hours, you're seeing a lot of data. What are the the usage patterns? Are people ending up... um, and I don't know if you compare this to linear experience, but 
I mean, do they end up having a larger variety of the types of sources they go to for their streaming content versus a, a linear situation with a, with a cable bundle? Uh, definitely the, the, the cohorts um, are more diverse. The, the habits are more diverse. And that, that flows from the fact that consumers just have more choice. And so it's still early. Um, certainly we see a cohort of users who are heavy SVOD users, maybe they spend most of their time in a combo of Netflix, Amazon, CBS, all access. We see a cohort of users that are, as we were just discussing, very heavy into ad supported programming because they cut the cord for, for a reason they, they wanted to have or third size their, their, their TV bill. And so they're, maybe they've got a, a Hulu and then they're augmenting with some ad supported services like like the Roku mm-hmm. channel. And then we've got a very long, long mid and long tail of services that, um, you know, people pick up because it's their passion. You know, it could be a cooking channel, a skateboarding channel. Um, it could mm-hmm. be some foreign language channel. That's also a big segment for us as people, you know, expats living in the States who want to consume content, uh, from, from India or their, their, you know, their, their, where they grew up. And, uh, OTT super serves that, diversity of interests in a way that's never been possible with linear television. So on the content creator side, who are going to be the winners and losers in this? Um, And I know it's going to be diversity, but it seems like the sort of high and low because we're seeing people, a lot of people rushing into streaming video and they're like, we're going to TV. Um, But a lot of it appears to me to be you know, undercutting the incumbents. The incumbents usually have higher cost bases, so you get a lower cost base, good enough substitution product. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, it's it, it's interesting to see how this is all playing out. Uh, certainly, I think that platforms like Roku, the ability to have thousands of apps, we have over five thousand apps on the on the platform now in some sense, democratizes... Is that too many or is that not enough? Well, we should come back to, to that and to the user experience. But um, I, my broader point is, if you're a content producer or, or, or an IP owner, uh, you now have many, many more channels through which to distribute your content. So in, if you just think about the allocation of power in the value chain, mm-hmm. it, it, it should, in some sense push down the value of the folks who are the classic middlemen and amplify the value of people on the, on either end of that spectrum. And I think we're starting to see that, um, you know, in terms of content being produced out of studios and shops that, which is, I think your point that just spend less dollars per viewer hour. Um, I think you're seeing a much longer tail of production. Some of it's good quality and surprising. Some of it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but the great thing about a platform like Roku is all of that content can have a presence on the platform and through editorial and algorithmic approaches can bubble its way mm-hmm. to the top again in a way that's just not been possible in linear TV where everything has got a position on the dial. Right. Very fundamental question. Are we seeing the end of cable TV as, as we've come to know it? Or is it just is it just morphine and changing? I th- uh, I think that what what's playing out is a a, re- a rebundling of video services. Bundling has great value. It's it's an opportunity for IP owners to get together, bundle their services, and sell it. Uh, perhaps cheaper for a consumer than than if they were all sold a la carte. It's got a lot of benefits to the content owners. It's stickier 
when you subscribe to a bundle than if you do a la carte services. So uh, I think the bundle as a concept, as a business model is alive and well. I think what's changing is who does the bundling and that, and, and what those bundles look like. And so certainly the traditional bundlers, the MVPDs are going to be here to stay. They move massive audiences. MVPDs. M- by that oh, mean. sorry. Yes. Cable yeah, operators. I let you get away with the SVOD. You know, it's an acronym that has one <laughs> letter too many in my book. I think there should only be three letter acronyms in this business. But yeah, cable operator, multi-channel okay. video, yeah. like Comcast and DirecTV. Cable companies. Those guys. Companies, yeah. They're not going anywhere. And and I think what's exciting about how the business is changing is they're, they're being pressured to innovate in a way they haven't been historically. And so that's why you get... DirecTV offering, DirecTV Now, Dish offering, Sling. And and that's them trying to meet the consumer where the consumer's going. So you're going to see innovation from the traditional guys in terms of how they bundle services. And then you're going to see guys like Fubo and Pluto, you know, approach bundling from a wholly different angle where maybe they don't even think from day one they need the traditional content owners, the traditional channels. They're going to they're gonna bundle uh, secondary sports content. They're going to bundle um, other forms of mm-hmm. leisure and lifestyle programming that maybe you wouldn't see on scripts and, right. and discovery. Let's take a quick break here. Digiday Plus is our premium membership program for those in media, marketing, tech, or even investors trying to get a leg up. Here's how Digiday Plus works. Members get access to exclusive content. Each day we have pieces that are only available to them. And members also get invites to our special events that we have about once a month, early access to this podcast, and also early access to our top story of the day, along with exclusive research we do on a regular basis about industry trends and where the money is going. Please visit digiday.com and you will see the plus tab in the menu bar. Digiday Plus membership is $395 a year, but if you use podcast at checkout, you will get 20% off. Please check it out. Now back to the episode. And you guys are not going to be a bundler. You're going to be a pure platform that allows people to subscribe to these bundles? Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. It depends on your definition. I mean, in some sense, we are a, a platform that, that puts all this choice in, in front of you, and we're a close partner to all those bundlers. Or bundler or bundler. We're a bundler of bundler. That's very meta. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we are, we are a, you know, I think we're ground zero for a lot of that innovation um, for, for, con- for bundlers and content owners, you know, with 22 million uh, households. Uh, with the best tool set in the business to help these these bundlers and content owners market themselves to our users. We're the place that they prioritize when they're going over the top to go do user acquisition and engagement. Okay, so a- as a company, I mean, you're not a small company, but you're competing with some very large companies yes. out there. People yes. like Amazon. Been doing it for years. Google. Yeah. Apple. Yeah. So how do you end up, because there's two sides to the business, I would just guess that someday... Jeff Bezos would say, okay, let's just, let's give it away. Give it away to Prime uh, users, and then we have them, and then we can make money. They've got an, a lot of different ways for um, for creators to, to make money from Amazon channels to, to other ways. Um, does this worry you? Um, you yeah, relaxed. I was waiting for the punchline. You seem relaxed. Yeah, we, well. <laughs> You're we, used to it. We're used to it. We've been doing it for years. It's a common question. Don't you have a lot of scary competitors, Roku? And the answer has always been yes. Uh, but I think the way that 
we've prevailed and done. But you're not well. making like self-driving cars and stuff on the side. That's not our goal. We're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that it's a serious po- point in some ways because th- there's so many different things that these gigantic technology companies can do that um, I've been asking for years companies like, you know, oh, why won't Google kill you? Um, right. Well, but I think you make the point right there, which is that Roku is like a thousand people and every day all 1,000 of those people come to work to do nothing but focus on TV. And it's all we do all day long. And we have the, we think the best talent and the most focus in the business. Um, and, you know, again, I wouldn't count out any of those very important big companies, um, but we've been competing with them for years. And I think we've been successful because of our focus and also because we're a great partner in the ecosystem. Um, you know, we're, we're a much more natural place for many of these content owners to partner with than some of these other vertically integrated companies with whom they also compete with, you know, it's Mm -hmm. whether it's Amazon or Apple, these are, these are companies that are vertically integrated into movie and music and other offerings in a way that actually competes with some of the people whose content they want to distribute. And so we've always been a much more neutral, much friendlier party Mm -hmm. to work with. We've also built our platform in a very pro platform way uh, you know, day one, our focus has been not just how do we get a sling or CBS all access onto our platform, but how do we help them succeed and grow? Mm-hmm. How do we give them tools in a way that other platforms may not? Yeah. And you're not making original programming. No. And not, not in the plans. Yeah. I don't I have anything to talk about here. I mean, what I, what I would say is that because everybody's on our platform and investing in our platform. We get the opportunity to partner up and down the value chain with producers of original content to help them have that content get in front of our users and, and build audience. And that's a, an exciting and challenging job mm-hmm. in and of itself. You know, whether that's a, a Netflix or a, a showtime with a new season of billions, you know, a lot of our focus and dialogue at Roku is how do we help that awesome programming bubble to the top and engage users? Yeah. I know you love all of your content creators equally, but who are a couple that are doing um, interesting models that are made for this world as it is? I mean, there's a lot of people retrofitting, um, from a linear world uh, for a streaming world? It's hard to choose because there's so much going on. Um, you know, I'll, I'll name a few that I think are, are interesting, um, that are very different. Um, so, you know, for example, I, um, I think that the work that uh, like Fubo is doing is very interesting because it's, it's uh, you know, it's kind of a virtual cable provider and yet the services that they're putting together are quite different in the and the audience that they're chasing what is quite kind different. of services this well there, theirs is more of a, a of a sports right. focus um you know and i think it would be very hard for them to go head on with an espn and so they're they're exploiting um you know the the other types of sports content that people find valuable and sports over time will be the last thing to unbundle, but it is beginning to unbundle. It's the part that my strategy falls apart when it comes to my beloved Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. Yes. I can't help you with that. (laughs) Um, I'll pay you it happily. I'd happily trade in my, my Apple TV for a Roku box. If you can get me the Eagles. Um, I, you know, I like what we're doing on the Roku channel, it's part of why we launched our own ad supported service was to really, you know, you, you made a reference earlier to the, 
ads being too frequent or untargeted. We launched our own channel in part to super serve that appetite for free content, but also so that we could lead by example with what an ad supported experience would look like. We just launched news, for example, in the Roku channel. I think news is this area that's really ripe for innovation in OTT. It's a very snackable. Who's providing the content? Uh, today in the Roku channel, we have ABC News, People, Cheddar, I'm leaving one or two out. We're adding more over time. And these are live linear feeds uh, into our channel. What What's, I think, interesting about that is news is this snackable, non-evergreen kind of content. You got to go back all, you know, every day and and you tend to have long viewing times. And, and I don't think we've seen yet a full breakout example of how news, video news is going to look in this new world. We've got some very traditional news services on the one end, and then we've got you know, sort of upstarts like the newsies on the other end. And so news is another area where I think there's just a lot of innovation going on in our platform. It'll be interesting to see when we see the first really big breakout brand from the streaming world. You know what I mean? Like whether it's in news or other, there, there's some very, uh, there's some very targeted ones. Um, but I don't know if there's like the breakout. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. I think it also may come from some more traditional places like the virtual MVPDs are all in and investing very heavily trying to think about new user experiences and new value propositions for consumers. So whether that's a, a PS view or a sling or a YouTube TV, they're going squarely after consumers who are on that bubble who feel like they need yeah. the linear TV service, but just aren't getting the value they need out of whatever Comcast or Verizon. And I think that's driving a ton of innovation in terms of what the user experience looks like, in terms of what channels are in the bundle, what the price point is. And so that's that's a very fertile area on our platform as well. The MV, those new cable operators okay, okay. Uh, are competing very heavily to acquire users on our platform. Is this is the OTT world still too confusing? Because one of the one of the good parts about cable is you moved into a new apartment, you had to call the cable people. The bad part was you had to wait like four days and then give them like a six hour window until they come. But then you knew what you're getting for the most part, um, even if you didn't want it all. Now it seems like people are expected to have like an entire strategy. I mean, there's a lot of different there's. You've got to choose, you know, who, how you're going to get the streaming to your TV. And then you've got to choose between YouTube TV, Hulu, you're going to ha have to get Netflix. And then, you know, there's all these different bundles within bundles. There's individual. It seems like right now it's a period of flux in some ways and that there's still, it's a little bit too complicated. I, I agree. I think it is a little too complicated today. Um, it, you know, and just like you, Sling TV, Direct TV now, it's, I mean, it takes a lot of research. Right. How do you know which service is going to be right for you? On, on the other hand, it's easy to subscribe and then unsubscribe and then try something else. And, you know, so that, that, that exists in OTT. I, I do think it's too hard still today. It's, it's too hard um, as a consumer to find and keep the stuff that you like. And then it's too hard just economically to figure out what you're trading off. And, and that's a big part of our focus at Roku is how to better surface that content in a standard way that makes it easy for you to get to the stuff that you like. 
uh, and to find the value that you're looking for. But I, I agree with your assertion that we're sort of in the, uh, you know, on the, the, the rising edge of the curve and, and the, the other side of the curve will be more yeah. about sort of rebundling and simplifying. I don't know, I don't know Pluto, Pluto TV and, and all this. Uh, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different options out there. Well, you know, if you love TV, this is a true renaissance period. It's just, it's not just fun to be working in the space that we're in. It's fun to be experiencing it. You do have to put more time into it. If you're just like a, a dial flipper, a channel flipper, you're, you know, you're going to find OTT a little intimidating, but boy, if you've got passion for cricket or uh, Mexican cooking channels, or, you know, you've never had a better set of options than what OTT is providing you today. But I agree with you that, you know, part of our task as a platform through things like the Roku channel and universal search and recommendations, and even the promotions that we run, part of our job is to help you more easily get into that content that's going to define your new TV habit. Okay. Scott, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. This episode is produced by Aditi Sangal. If you liked our show, and I hope you did, please give it a five-star rating, if I may, and leave us a review, hopefully a positive one. Um, It helps our podcast to be discovered. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and of course, Anchor.fm. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week. Thank you.